0: Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 24 of True Crime Time. Today, we have a special guest. You may know him from the Big Bucket of Chicken podcast or the underbelly of the action figure collecting world. His name, he's smiling, is Kevin McClure. Hello. Did you write that
1: out? Because that was perfect. Was it? Yeah.
0: It encapsulates you very well?
1: When I think of underbelly, that's what I want to think of, like that dark territory of action figure collecting. When
0: I think of underbelly, I think of you immediately. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Um, so, in addition to those things that I already mentioned, Kevin is a wrestling fan, which is great for today's episode because that's what we're going to talk about. You may or may not be familiar with the tragedy surrounding wrestler Chris Benoit's family. We are here to talk about that today. Yes, we are. <laughs> oh, that's very serious. Um, so how did you come to love wrestling, Kevin?
1: Well, I will say this: is that I dabbled in wrestling when I was a kid. Like there, like not, I didn't wrestle, but. But, um, you know, we would get the pay-per-views every now and then when I was young. I wasn't like super into it, but around like 97, mm. my brother started watching again because of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and we got a couple of pay-per-views, and then it just turned into, I was watching Raw, I was watching every pay-per-view, Sunday Night Heat, SmackDown.
0: Everything.
1: I am a I with the Attitude Era. I've seen everything. It like I've su- I have I watched every B-level show, jacked, <laughs> metal, you name it. I watched, everything. I was obsessed with, for a, a good five-year, six-year period. That's
0: a long time. I was really
1: into wrestling. You
0: know, I like, too, that you say pay-per-view, because that's how I say it also.
1: What, like, how it's, do other people say it? It's
0: pay-per-view. Oh, okay. But it's like pay-per-view, right? Pay-per-view? No.
1: Pay per view. Yeah. yeah, I say. Pay-per-view. But you're saying like it's like a newspaper. Yeah, right? yeah. Pay
0: per view. I guess
1: that I well we we've already talked about this. Sometimes I have trouble saying words, <laughs> and my that might fall, fall in that realm. No, but
0: I literally also say that. So I you got to pass this
1: on. Do you ever do PPV? Because I never did that.
0: That sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like
1: well they always have that term doing the job on the PPV. Like, there also you hear that sounds
0: gross. I don't like okay. it. Okay. <laughs> right. For wrestling
1: fans, they I'm sure you understand what that means.
0: If there are any wrestling fans listening to this today, we're bringing together two worlds of mine true crime and wrestling. Yes. Right? And I've never mentioned wrestling on this podcast before. Nobody knows of my dark past. <laughs> <laughs> that well, sounds really creepy. They're going to know now. I'll explain later. Yeah. Don't get too excited. But uh, before we get into it, I just want to cite a few sources so no one thinks I'm stealing their shit. Number one is Dark Side of the Ring. Sure. Obviously, Wikipedia. Um, There's a CNN documentary, you can find it on YouTube, that's all I did, there was no name, it was just like CNN documentary, that was it, Um, and ABC News, from their internets, and so on. So, on June 25th, 2007, professional wrestler Chris Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel were found dead in their home in Fayetteville, Georgia, to have any kind of understanding of what happened here. We have to start all the way at the beginning and do a little wrestling history. Your favorite. Right. I, just, I just made that up. I don't know if you like that. So <laughs> It happens to be my favorite, Megan. Hooray. Yeah. Chris Benoit grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. For all you American people. I don't know. It's fun, And loved wrestling from an early age. At about 12, he attended a local wrestling event where he saw the Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart, one of my personal favorites. And they really stood out to him and they made kind of like a big impact, right? So he went on to train then in the Hart Dungeon under Stu Hart where many notable wrestlers got their start. So people like Brian Pillman, just incredible Edge, Christian, Davey Boy Smith, aka the British Bulldog, Owen and Bret Hart, obviously, and many more. Um, So then Chris started wrestling with Stampede Wrestling, which is Stu Hart's promotion in 1985. He adopted a few moves from the Dynamite Kid, one of them being called, and I see different names. You tell me if you know which one's the right one. I see the Flying Headbutt, and I see the Diving Headbutt. Do you know which one it is?
1: I would have to say that I thought they were both the same, but now that you said that, I mean, maybe they're different. It's
0: the same move, Yeah, but people are calling it different things.
1: I want to say Diving Headbutt was okay. the one that I would go with. Okay. Um, the all I know is like the I think the the one that really made it famous originally besides the Dynamite Kid was Harley Race was a big
0: well yeah Harley, well, yeah, Harley yeah. Race originated it and then kind of passed it on to the Dynamite Kid who then passed it on to Chris Benoit, yeah essentially Sams so, I know stuff <laughs> smart <laughs> um, but so that move just for you guys who don't really know about wrestling or whatever, it's kind of what it sounds like you go up to the top rope you dive off and head first. And you head by your opponent that's the move
1: now you really think about that um and we'll cover this later in the show but one of the probably one of the more dangerous moves in all of wrestling because there's no protection to your head Absolutely. you're literally hitting your head on someone's body or if you miss you're hitting your head on on the
0: yeah, on the are. canvas you sure are and you know what that's called foreshadowing because that's going to be important later so
1: And also, I will say one more thing. thing. Harley Race, later on in his career or after he was retired, said no one should do that move. And I'm the guy to tell you, do not do that move.
0: Why did he say that?
1: Because of the cognitive problems that he had later on in his life. He had
0: cognitive problems. The
1: the multiple concussions that he had. And again, that's that's kind of parallels Dynamite Kid, Chris Benoit. I was going to say their concussion problems too. But I'm just saying, you know, when you have someone like that tell you, don't do it. And yet, and then every time I see someone do it now, I'm like
0: don't do it don't do it everyone said everyone said but so we move on to 1989 chris heads over to new japan pro wrestling where he would stay for quite a while and met eddie guerrero who wrestled under the name black tiger and these if you see some of this footage it's crazy they went really hard in their matches and they didn't like each other at the time what
1: was benoit's name over there in japan
0: was that the pegasus the pegasus
1: kid yeah. right or did pegasus? you know that you were like baiting me well no what? i was saying
0: I... <laughs> I just wanted to see if i knew what it was
1: <laughs> no, like... i'm saying but but uh, again he wanted a uh, kind of a tribute to dynamite kid he, that's why he was pegasus and the pegasus kid over there like, but, like
0: also can i just say like what a... <laughs> like you want to be like tough you're like i'm a pegasus kid like that's it's not my favorite name i've ever heard it's fine it's whatever so (laughs) they really didn't like each other so that was one of the reasons they went so hard in these matches as well they want to make it look good but also they're a little bit of like annoyance you know they spend a lot of time together and you know we'll get more into locker room shenanigans later but chris was pretty much always described as ever from everyone as quiet and serious kind of like a perfectionist and chris jericho actually tells a story about how once in one of their matches he oversold a move and it didn't quite connect um, and when he went back to the locker room, he found Chris doing 500 squats as a self-imposed punishment for not being perfect. So he also kind of took it hard that he might've exposed the business. So I think this is an important time to stop and say, just to make something very clear for all of you people who say wrestling is fake. The outcomes may be predetermined, but the physicality is very real.
1: Well, that's also another thing in, in Japanese wrestling culture is they, you know, they want to lay it in. So oh, yeah. when you're when you're very stiff in the ring with people, you want people to make it look as real as possible. You don't want people to kind of have that disbelief of, oh, that looked fake. That's right. the thing that Benoit really was so obsessed with, not making it look fake, making it look like a real fight. And exactly. that's that's something he, you know, throughout his entire career, that was a big thing well, for him. And a
0: lot of the a lot of the people who are very successful in wrestling, that's that's a similar mindset they all share. Yep. Right. Because even so just so everyone's aware my sordid history it's fine when I was in my late teens I spent quite a bit of time around a local indie promotion it still exists to this day I'm not that old but it's it's still around um and I wound up dating one of the guys for a long period of time too long some might say and I got a glimpse of what life was like on the other side of the curtain right it is not pretty (laughs) it's not pretty um Of course, for the most part at that time, most of the guys I was around were new. They were new, but they're learning and you see, you know, you see how they develop and you see how they go harder and, and whatever, because they want to make it look good. Right. Um, But so with that being said, with the newer guys, occasionally some of the more seasoned the big names would show up. And I can tell you, I saw these guys, their bodies (laughs) destroyed yeah like they i want to say their brains even a little bit to an extent are destroyed because they put themselves through it for the love of the sport and it is a sport it's a sport it is but it has soap opera like tendencies so well
1: another thing too is that you know when, when you're in the big leagues when you're in the wwe or wwf at the time uh there's no off season there's not you you are on the road maybe 310 out of 365 days a year right That's maybe generous. I don't know. I mean, it may be even more than that. You never see your family. Never. Your family are your wrestlers on the road most of the time. And you're calling your wife. You're calling your kids, that kind of stuff. But you don't see your family a lot. And that takes its toll, too. And also, uh, you know, one of the things, too, with that is, is that you only see the TV stuff. They're not they're not doing two, they're not wrestling twice a week. They're wrestling like five days a week. Right. So when we talk about like someone doing a diving headbutt and you see it twice and well, that looked that looked nasty. Well, he's doing that three extra nights that you don't even see on TV. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, and to that point, I'm gonna say, and this is for the indies, this is indie wrestling. Some of the injuries I have seen with my own eyes, some tackles everywhere, right? abrasions, obviously cuts, like scrapes, that's normal stuff. I'm not talking about like headblading either, like where they do it on purpose. I'm talking about sh- just shit happens, right? Um, in more extreme cases, I once saw a, um, there was a hardcore match going on. I was sitting in the first or second row and I could see into someone's head. He had, like, a gash. Like, I was like, Can I, is that his skull? Like, what is that? He left in an ambulance. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, I said his name. I'm not saying anyone's name. I promised myself.
1: Well, I um, think I think also what, what parallels wrestling back then as well is, is very similar to what happened in the NFL. Yeah. In the NFL, you know, you're afraid of losing your spot if you sure. get hurt. Sure. Okay. So working through injuries was like a rite of passage. It was like a badge of honor. Like if if you had, if you could wrestle the next night and you could possibly give 10, 20 minutes, you were going to do it because you were afraid of being not booked and also being afraid of being accused of faking something and people didn't want that. And so think about like the, what we didn't know about concussions back then and, and even little things like that, like, you got a concussion, it was just like, shake it off.
0: Yeah, too bad. You're on. <laughs> yeah, that, that's
1: that's exactly how it was in the NFL. Yeah. The same thing with the wrestling.
0: Yes, and the one exception to that that I saw was there was this kid. I think it was his first or second show out, and he did a flip off a ladder, and he came through a table, and the table either didn't break cleanly or it didn't break really. You know, I'm not really sure, but his bicep became separated from his body. Oh, my God. It was. That's awful a nightmare he never came back that was it yeah he was, he was done and that was like and he was really good i think he was he was like a high flyer so again wrestling terminology for all you true climbers, um you know top rope stuff right jumping off the top rope flying around doing fucking moonsaults that kind of stuff you know it's it's a lot to do and if you can do it because not everyone can you're kind of like a sought after like a commodity almost right And that's what this kid could do. And that's why he was brought in and it just ruins him (laughs) immediately. Um, that was a rough night. There was a lot of blood anyway. So (laughs) the only other thing that I saw, which was kind of weird. I never saw anything like this. Maybe you have in, in pro wrestling, like actually on TV is. So my ex had a match that was like a Southern style brawl. Okay. There's a lot of hay. You ever seen anything like that? Just a massive amounts of hay bales and they were just assaulting each other. Hey!
1: No, I do not see this. It. No. it was
0: crazy, and um, at the end, you know, he was in the hall, and he was kind of like, he was like choking. He might have been having an allergic reaction, even. <laughs> and I thought it was kind of extreme, but like I've also never been violently like assaulted with hay, so I don't know. Maybe right. That's the regular response. I don't know.
1: Well, I think they weigh they weigh a lot, right? I mean, like to pick them up. <laughs> they were I mean, really really, yeah, big. yeah, that's yeah,
0: and just like smashing their heads, and <laughs> so it was crazy. It was crazy thing. And it took a long time to set up in the ring, too. You know yeah, I, I mean?
1: never saw a match like that.
0: Yeah, like it's not... I'm assuming you've been to tapings of wrestling. Yeah,
1: I've, yeah, been, to, yeah, I've been to a so few... So you know like a, in, a lot of raws I've been right, to. Right, but yeah.
0: in between, there's a setup. It's not what people see on TV. No. You know what I mean? It's not as smooth as all that. There's things that need to change and like set, so to say. It's the theater. Right. It's a violent theater. <laughs> so um, we talked about Chris... We talked a little bit about Eddie. We really need to talk about Nancy Benoit. Yeah. That's who is missing, right? So she was born Nancy Toffaloni, and she was initially exposed to wrestling by her, her first husband, Jim, who was a big fan. They just went to events and they would watch. Um, she caught a promoter's eye and then became involved, actually involved with wrestling as a model for a wrestling magazine. That's how that started. So then, being around that scene, she met Kevin Sullivan, mm-hmm. who's a wrestler in the biz. Not to be confused with you, Kevin McClure, who is right here. <laughs> I uh, am not
1: the taskmaster. No, she
0: is. Just, he is not. My apologies. Um, so Nancy was eventually convinced by Kevin Sullivan to join his entourage as a valet, taking the name Fallen Angel. Was that her first name? That was it. Yeah, that was her first name. Um, and she deb- debuted even in 1984 at Florida Championship Wrestling. In um, Kevin Stable, which here's the definition of a stable, there wrestlers, usually heels, that's the bad guys, who generally have common motives, allies, and adversaries within a story or multiple storylines. They usually have the same kind of gimmick. So in this case, Kevin Stable is comprised of Satanists.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that was ahead of its time back then. I mean, you think about that early 80s, and yeah. you're, you're in front of audiences saying you love Satan. Like people believed it. But
0: you know what? Even today, that footage is entertaining. Yeah, it is. It's entertaining to watch.
1: Yeah. I mean, they they got some pretty risque costumes on, I'll say. Like, yeah, they did. I mean, she's she's got a, a choker chain on. He's leading her to the ring in a chain. Like it's yeah. it's pretty wild. She kept
0: calling him master. It was like a whole yeah. underbelly. That's the third time we're going to talk about that underbelly of society, which is not so much anymore. Now it's common. Yeah. Um, But so her and Kevin Sullivan would actually go on to get married Yeah, and then go on to the big time WCW, right? And that's where Nancy changed her gimmick and started going by woman. And that was more like a femme fatale type character. Yeah. So more like fancy, more pretty, more about the boys, but also like giving the boys business.
1: She was more a manager at that point. Yes. Like she was actually like, she had people that specifically she would come out with and she had multiple people that she had. Like, I think there was, um, I believe Harlem heat for a while, Ric Flair for a little bit, like some guys like that. Yeah. um, She was coming out with and she was the one talking. Yeah. Like she was like a lot of, a lot of uh, the interviews, like she was the one talking for them.
0: Yeah. And she's really, you know, I've, I've seen so many articles about this and so many people have talked about this. She does not get the credit she deserves no. for bringing what she brought to wrestling. And it's Chris Jericho, even at one point, refers to valleys and managers as a lost art. And it is. I really agree. I really agree so much. Um, they really brought something else, like another element, no matter what, what the story is or what the gimmick is. It's not like, Let's be honest. Every match isn't a winner. <laughs> right. Every match is not It's not possible. But to have this other element where there's always something entertaining going yeah. on. Um, and that's your people like Sensational Sherry and Luna Vachon, who also was a wrestler. Yep. But she would still Well, Sherry, too. I mean, Sherry was Sherry, a so she was very a... accomplished wrestler. She'd and she never really ass. got to
1: show what she could do for the most part because, you know, women's wrestling wasn't prominent at all during the time she was there.
0: Absolutely not. But it's the
1: same thing with Nancy, ben- Nancy Benoit. Uh, she never really was a wrestler. She wasn't. But again, you know, if you're if you're a heel, a bad guy, yeah, uh, you're doing things to help your team win matches. You know, like hold the hold the leg of somebody or
0: things She's like that. I love that. Yeah,
1: like stuff like that. You I know, just that. outside doing stuff outside of the ring. Your exactly. Pres- you always your presence is felt despite your lack of wrestling skills.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And also, you know, I know we're talking about women and women as valets and managers right now. I just want to give a shout-out to one of my favorite managers of all time, who's Paul Bearer. May he rest in peace. I just wanted to mention him. Yeah, Paul Bearer is awesome. And Jimmy Hart, I love. I know that that's that's not really your thing, but Jimmy Hart. I
1: like Jimmy Hart. I just We talked about if I was going to be a a manager, I would be more of a Paul Heyman guy.
0: I don't see it. We'll see. We'll see. Any local promotions looking to book a manager, please contact me for Kevin McClure's information, and we're going to see. We're going to put that to the test. I would love to cut
1: a promo in front of an audience, (laughs) because I think I can do it.
0: And then you just walk away and they never talk to you or see you. That's again. right. And <laughs> I, I
1: dropped the mic and go, I, that's all I needed. I just needed to and see it. And they go, who was that?
0: It. What was that? And then it's over. I want to see it. Okay, we'll set it up. We're going to okay, set cool. it up. Okay. So back to our other guys. Eddie and Chris both go on to WCW together. So now essentially, um, every person who is central to our story is in one place.
1: Well, well, remember, too, ECW, they were there for a little bit too. They were there. And that's them wrestling each other. It was. Eddie, Eddie Chris and Malenko wrestling each other
0: Steve really Malenko. got them their jobs yes
1: with WCW Eric Bischoff at the time was
0: uh, who was the yeah. who was
1: the head of WCW uh, who was putting out Ted Turner's money <laughs> to everyone in the business <laughs> right. um, was plucking talent from ECW which is uh, a small promotion based in Philadelphia extreme Championship wrestling that right. became a really big deal and really very influential in the business but um, like Megan was saying uh, they both end up in WCW together after their ECW See, run. that's
0: why you're here. You're here to fill in that's right. the gaps. Right? That's what we're doing. That was a cheers. That was very nice. You guys can't see, but there was a cheers that happened. So, in WCW, there was kind of a joke that Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce. Right? So, first, what is a booker? You ask me. And I will tell you. A booker is basically the person who writes the stories. Right. So Kevin is the one, Sullivan, (laughs) Kevin Sullivan is booking these stories. And so he involves Nancy as woman, like I said, in a storyline where he, where her and Chris Benoit become involved and they film these segments taunting Kevin. But it just so happens, it just so happens that as this was going on, they were getting closer and closer and really falling in love, real wrestling love story.
1: Now, the other thing, too, to, to, to add to that is that mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan was another guy that, you know, was very big on believability and making people believe in angles. Yeah. So he was making Nancy travel with Chris. So they were, like, staying in the same hotel room. I didn't
0: know that.
1: Yeah, they were. That's
0: not good. That's another big that's thing. That's not a good idea. Yeah, that's another <laughs> That's
1: another thing is that, you know, his his, like, the way he viewed the business was also what kind of caused, you know, them to kind of get together.
0: Yeah, I'll say. That's not... Yeah. spend all this time with this person. Both of you are kind of attractive, not so much Chris. But Nancy, very attractive lady, put her in these situations That's bonkers.
1: Okay. Yeah, and the more that Kevin and Nancy argued, the closer her and Chris became.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's been said during that time that Chris is going through a bad time in his current marriage, and Kevin occasionally was becoming violent with Nancy, and they would argue a lot. And that when that would happen, just like you're saying, Nancy would call Chris. they would spend even more time together yeah eventually ending with nancy leaving kevin for chris so then chris and nancy they have a son daniel in february of 2000 they got married in november of the same year so everyone described chris as a great dad he had two other children from his previous marriage but it's exactly what you were saying before they sacrificed so much for wrestling being on the road missing things birthdays sometimes holidays um that's the life right every story i've ever heard about a wrestler's life on the road has those elements to it and kind of have um they have reputations as absentee parents so everyone from the dynamite kid to luna vachon to scott hall they all have these stories about i wasn't there for my kid you know um and it's really hard to give your all for a career and then also your family So i'm sure there are exceptions to this but generally that's what you hear
1: Well, that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, both both parents in the business and, you know, once once they get married, Nancy kind of retires. I mean, she goes to really just to raise a family.
0: Right. That's that's kind
1: of what happens to her. That was
0: her goal there. Right. So it was in 2000 that Eddie and Chris moved from WCW. To wwe they went together and they're besties up by this point all the time they spent together paid off They're brothers they're you know having a great time together and they're off time they're very very close and i cannot stress that enough
1: yeah and another thing the reason why they wanted to leave was at the time kevin sullivan was uh, named the head booker for wcw right and chris benoit felt that. He was going to, you know, get screwed over by Kevin because of that. And he was
0: right.
1: Of, <laughs> right. So so again, he he pretty much with Eddie Guerrero and two other guys, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko, went to the man, management and said, We want out of our contracts. And they all were released from their contracts. And then a few days, like I think a few days later, or a week later, they showed up on Raw. They, they showed sure up did. for WWE. And it was, it was such an amazing time to be a wrestling fan, to see like these big stars from this other promotion, the rival promotion, and all of a sudden they're sitting in the front row of Raw the next week after all the speculation online of, I heard they were let go by WCW. So
0: there's a lot of like the rumor mail. And at that time, um, you know, WCW and WWE, Monday Night Wars, yep. there's a lot going on around that. Um... So it was a crazy time. I remember clips of that. And you can find them on YouTube if you're interested. not going to shove them down your throat, but I suggest you watch them.
1: uh, It happens during a New Age Outlaws match uh, versus, I think it's Al Snow and Steve Blackman. So I think that's the match uh, if you want to look it up on YouTube.
0: Perfect. Thank you for that information. So now, their careers are blowing up right in WWE. We have to talk about Eddie, though it's very important that we talk about Eddie. So Eddie had a lot of injuries over the course of his career. He was in a lot of pain and behind the scenes there was a lot of drinking and drugs, a lot. Um, that turned into DUIs and overdoses. Vicky Guerrero, Eddie's wife, said that Eddie had three overdoses in their house and many many wrestlers had died from substance abuse problems, right? But subsequently, you know, during this really rough time for him, Eddie was fired from WWE and lost everything. He lost his his job, he loved. He lost his family, everything. So he goes to rehab, I believe. That's yep. right, right. He goes to rehab and he kind of just starts working his way back. His family comes back. Things start to come back for him. His his career. He gets rehired. Thank God.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know when you look when he comes back, he just looks so much better. He
0: looks amazing. Yeah,
1: he looks amazing, and I know another, another thing. If you remember, the first time, the first match he ever had in the WWE, he broke his arm.
0: I don't remember that.
1: Yeah, he was so when he first debuted, he broke his arm and he was in a sling for a lot of a lot of the matches. So he was like outside interference type of guy. I really
0: don't. Remember so there that. was a
1: lot of there was a lot of things that like he wasn't like able to wrestle initially, um, and that's what kind of also made. Chris Benoit stand out even more out of those four that had defected. The, they call him the Rat. Their team name was the Radicals. That's um, right,
0: the Radicals. But
1: Chris Benoit really was the standout early on with that, and he was having uh, main event caliber matches with guys like Triple, like Triple H. Yeah, uh, they had an awesome match. Like I think that was Benoit's like first match there. Um, but yeah, but Guerrero was on the shelf for a while uh, with the sling. Yeah, um, and he did a few angles. But yeah, um, I just just remember he comes back. And he just looks like a million bucks. Tearing
0: it up. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said Angle because I'm going to do the worst segue. Eddie's WrestleMania 2004 match was against Kurt Angle.
1: Uh... Yeah, Kurt oh. Angle. If you don't know who Kurt Angle is, uh, he's an ex-Olympic gold medalist who gold medalist. probably became one of the greatest uh, WWE superstars of all time.
0: If you're having trouble placing him, just bald and like American flag gear. <laughs> right? If you're like, I don't know what, what you're oh, about. Oh, it's if- true.
1: Oh, it's damn true. That is. Yeah
0: sure is. Wow. Thank you for throwing that in there. So, we have WrestleMania, again, 2004, just in case you missed that part. Eddie versus Kurt for the WWE Championship. And Chris Benoit versus Triple H versus Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight Championship. These are big matches that night, right? Eddie won his match. He got the belt. Do you remember that?
1: I do remember that match. Was it a good match? It was an excellent match, yeah. And the finish was hot. Uh, the crowd went crazy. Um, the other thing, too, is that, you know, it took them a couple of years to get to that level. It sure did. Like, if you think about it, like you had said, they debuted in 2000. So
0: 2004 in yeah. WrestleMania. It took
1: them. it took them quite a while. They were in the mid-card for a while, like, especially Benoit. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. always, like, intercontinental champion uh, feuding and, and having great matches, by the way, but just not at the top of the card. Right. So that elevation... Both of their elevations happened at the same time, which and is just amazing.
0: I think it's worth mentioning that one of the reasons they wound up kind of on the mid-card wasn't even necessarily for lack of skill. Think of how big the guys were. Yeah, They it's... were little guys. Not, and, you know, I don't want to, like, patronize.
1: <laughs> Vince McMahon, the, the yeah. owner of WWE, I mean, he, he's notorious for being...
0: He likes a big man. He
1: does. <laughs> yeah, he does. And, and uh, you know, Benoit and Guerrero are on the shorter side, uh, you know, 5'10", 5'9", or whatever they are. Right. Um, but just compared to other people stacked up, you know, you look at, you know, when, let's just say, like, Hogan and the Giant, but I just... That's you know, when, when the two... When two people lock up, um, you know, and someone's way taller than the other one, Yeah, you know, that, that kind of is something that, like, visually like a, a wrestling promoter would not want something like that but at the time right wrestling was really being more emphasized like the we're, we're getting out of the attitude era here attitude era kind of goes away around like 2002 and the emphasis is placed more on wrestling when uh Guerrero and Benoit get moved to SmackDown and Paul Heyman takes over as the booker your
0: favorite the
1: wrestling gets emphasized and they start having amazing matches they called it um the SmackDown Six and it, it was the Guerreros, it was uh, I believe Kurt Angle and Benoit, and then Edge and Christian, like guys like that. Yeah, they were just having like amazing tag team matches or triple threat tag team matches. Right. And uh and that was the time where you were seeing the, that, that payoff for them. That right. that now it was like these guys can really go, and it doesn't matter how tall they are, it's their time. To now,
0: it's their time in the sun. That's right, right? Yeah. So, that the perfect build-up for Chris's main event match—the match I mentioned before between him versus Triple H, Shawn Michaels—was the main event that night. So it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's very emotional. There, it's tense, and he got the belt. He got yeah. the belt that night, and I remember it. I remember the scene. I remember the confetti. I remember Eddie coming out of the back and joining him in the ring and they were both like crying and hugging it out. It was such a feel-good moment. Yeah. It was a feel-good moment. That's something that I remember. Cuz that that was around the same time that I was around um that indie promotion so much. So I was kind of like immersed in wrestling. So that's definitely something that I remember personally watching at that time. Right. Um and it was a great it was a great moment, but from there Things start to happen. Things start to happen that are not so great. So now, it's November of 2005, which is the year I graduated high school, just in case anyone was wondering. Nobody asked, but it's fine. So Chavo Guerrero, who is the half of the Guerrero tag team, and that's Eddie's nephew. He's very famous. Check him out. Um, They are traveling, Eddie and Chavo, to Minneapolis for a show. Um, Chavo said that he was talking to Eddie and Eddie kind of like nodded off a few times while they were speaking and it happened in a few other conversations she was having with other people, but no really, no one really thought that much of it. You travel a lot. You're tired, you know, you're injured, you're resting in between your shows. And it did seem a little strange, but nobody was like really concerned about it. Right. So they get to their hotel. Chris is there. They see Chris. Hey, we're going to meet at the gym. at 7am, something like that. Um, in the morning that's what they do all the time in the gym working it out so they all go to their rooms and chavo says that he gets a call around 5 a.m saying that something was wrong with eddie a security guard came to his room to take him over to eddie's room and told chavo that eddie did not answer his wake-up call so the procedure of course is to go check on the guests Um, They attempted to open the door and it had one of those sliding safety latches um, on the inside and it was engaged. So it's on. So they knew someone was for sure in there. So they cut it and um, they entered the room and they found Eddie lying face down on the bathroom floor. So Chavo said he went to him and was kind of like shaking him and he felt movement um, and he was alive. And, but he heard like a weird sound, almost like a like a gurgling, something like that, something awful. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Um, and he hung on for a few minutes, but then he passed away. Right right there on the floor. It makes me very sad. Like, sounds like I'm smiling, but I'm very sad. So that's going on. Chris has no idea what's going on. He's downstairs. Yep. Right. And he calls Chavo and he's like, hey, what's up downstairs? What's going on? Where are you guys? And Chavo then had to tell him that Eddie passed away and Chris was devastated. That is not even a strong enough word to describe the emotions that that were happening at that time. Um, Eddie's cause of death was chalked up to heart disease, but later they were saying that it was a result of long-term use of drugs and alcohol and he was only 38 years old
1: yeah and, and that's the thing too is that um after he won the championship uh he started really feeling the pressure and there was a lot of stories backstage about him blowing up on people i know kurt has told a story about that i know bob holly has told a story about that Your yeah, my bob
0: Holly,
1: hardcore holly yeah. bob if
0: you're listening <laughs> kevin loves you
1: i do continue um but the thing was is that you know when you're the champion you're expected to draw. You're expected right. to carry the company. Right. And I think that his personal issues that he never really addressed and his you know, declining health really made him a ticking time bomb. And they said that sometimes like some days he was really great. He was normal. And then the next day he wouldn't say two words to anyone and you yeah. can tell he was just really in a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, and, the, was... and the
0: stress and the pressure, like you're saying.
1: And I know that uh, people were really begging him to like take time off. And again, again, this goes back to that mentality of the wrestler losing their spot and right. being afraid of what happens if they are taken off TV or if they're given an extended period right. of time. Right. And I think that really played into like why Eddie kept going. Cause I think he knew, I think he definitely knew something was wrong. I think people around him, like, like you said with Chavo and probably even Benoit and and the other guys that, that kind of had those dust ups, right. they knew something was going on with him. And if, if you remember too, at the time, they were really doing some very risque angles with him, very personal angles. Yeah, with, with Vicky. Yeah, with, with his wife Vicky Guerrero, who became an on-screen character. And then even his his uh they were they were they were implying that like his uh Son was not his. On, it was an, as a storyline. It was
0: crazy. As
1: a storyline, but
0: using his real children on television. Yeah. So like, it was.
1: Um, it was mm-hmm. very. It wasn't good. It was very. It was. You know how wrestling can be very operatic and very soap opery. Right. This was like way way above. And this is after the Attitude Era. This but, is like this is this is like a weird time to do this kind of angle.
0: I remember watching that though. I mean, like even at the time and being so young, and I was like. Is he okay with this? Like, I mean, I feel like I justified it in my head. Like he had to have signed off on it for this to be happening. But even if that's true, like if Vince McMahon <laughs> comes and says, this is what we're doing. You don't say no to Vince McMahon. Like you don't, you just do. Okay, sure. Okay. You don't, maybe you don't love it, but you do it.
1: Um, but before, uh, before, um, his death, I think there was a SummerSlam. I think it was SummerSlam. It was a ladder match that he had with Rey Mysterio jr. Huh. And the angle was it was something to do uh, with his his wife Vicky and, and his and his son I think something to do with like he gets the custody of the son or something like that. That's crazy. If you're a wrestling fan, you can write in the in the messages or you know whatever and, and tell me exactly what it was. But there was a spot where Vicky was supposed to come into the ring. And he was – she was supposed to, to push the ladder down where, where Eddie couldn't grab the, the belt that was hanging. Okay. I believe at the time it was the Intercontinental Championship, but I don't quote me on that. Might be – I will. I'm Might even be the world title. Okay. Um, but there's a there's a point where Vicky misses her spot, uh. and he's just sitting up there, like, kind of, like, doesn't know what to do. And then at the top of his lungs uh, – well, he, he, he they improvise a spot where, like, he falls off the ladder, like, Ray Mysterio mm-hmm. kicks him or whatever – And then uh, he slams, I think it's edited on some of the network stuff, but he slams his arms against, like, the mat and goes, God damn it, Vicky, where the fuck were you? What? Yeah, that was, I don't know if you you never saw that. No. I'm sure on YouTube you could find, like, the original edit, unedited version, but I believe it's edited on the network, which they do a lot of. That
0: makes me so sad.
1: Well, yeah. When you think about things like that, like the pressure going to him and like making a big mistake in a big level match on on a pay per view, um, you know, it all adds up to this uh, November two thousand five and and what happens. Unfortunately, no.
0: It's 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 terrible. It it truly is terrible. So WWE did a tribute to Eddie and had a lot of the guys talk about him on camera, kind of like confessional style, like individually. Chris's still to this day, is so hard to watch. It makes me very emotional because he has so much emotion, like raw, just like, he can't get it together yeah. to talk.
1: Well, he, well, even on the Dark Side of the Ring, Chavo says that when he tells him that Eddie passed away, yeah. he just lets out a, like, two-minute scream on yeah. the phone. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Because they were so close, remember, at this time. And it's like you were saying before about your family – these guys are your family. Yeah. This is who you're with all the time. This is who you see every day when you wake up, when you go to bed, not in the same room. but It's who you see. It's who you spend all your time with.
1: They're together in Japan. They're together in ECW. They're together in WCW. They're together in WWE. Right. They all all along the way, Eddie and Chris are in the same spots.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah, so. Exactly. So I really, and even for him talking like that, imagine, imagine someone, and he said it was okay to do, but imagine that that's your friend. And someone has a camera on you, and you have to talk about it. Yeah. And so I don't. It's not. I don't blame him for that kind of emotion. It's just. It's just hard to watch as an empathetic person, you know, because you can imagine. I mean, you, we can't imagine, but we can try, of what what he is feeling.
1: Yeah, and the documentary Dark Side of the Ring does a great job of illustrating with the different interviews about how close they really were. Like they it were really. really uh, like brothers, they really were.
0: They really were, I... and
1: uh, and you can see it, like what 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 you're saying, Megan, is that uh-huh. you know that uh where he tries to talk about him, it's really really hard to watch because he just cannot. He, he can't. He and and the thing is, is that that doesn't go away. It doesn't. And plus, we talk about wrestlers not being home, still being on the road, three hundred ten days a year, whatever whatever it is. It's a, it's a grueling schedule.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's exactly what he did. He you know, he took it all, took all the baggage and went right back to work. He didn't take any time off. Right back. He went, he went back and I mean, was that the best thing to do? Probably not. Absolutely not.
0: Well, so the guy said, just take one tiny step back. So they're talking about his funeral, right? Mm -hmm. Eddie's funeral. And Chavo in particular said, this impacted all of them. Of course, that's his uncle. Yeah. But he's saying the, Chris's response was so like, almost like that of a spouse right yeah. like that's how close they were so that's crazy but the thing just like you're saying he he just stuffs it all down yeah and he actually flew from his funeral to Europe i believe to yeah. just keep working that's yeah. not you need time off like you can't just do that that's not you know, and that's when he kind of started to withdraw socially and, and kind of like emotionally as well. It was kind of like a dual thing. You know, he's he's obviously going through a lot and now stuffing it down.
1: Another, another thing, too, you know, if you, if you listen to a lot of interviews or wrestlers and say that you'd notice anything about Benoit, like what... what... Okay. Yeah, that's one of those things, too, with Chris Benoit, you know, you they always asked everybody around him like what was he like around that time and they said that he was definitely becoming more and more withdrawn I think Chris Jericho definitely said that like you know he would try to talk to him and it was just it was like impossible um but as far as like outbursts or anything like that they said no they didn't they didn't say like there was any like crazy like moments or anything like that exactly
0: and that speaks exactly to what we're saying about how he's just kind of stuffing it down and going about his business, even though he's obviously in a tremendous amount of pain, Yeah, you know, that's not a thing that you should do. Well, Um, they said,
1: they said also, you know, he kept the journal. It was all about Eddie. Uh, Yep. uh, Also too. uh, I I, I remember Vicky Guerrero mentioning in the dark side of the ring episode that he would come over to the house and go upstairs and just kind of cry.
0: Yes. So Nancy, because Nancy is obviously involved in this, right? So Nancy, who's not on tour, Chris is, touring around doing shows, goes to her friend. She goes to Vicky's house. She's showing up for her. She's helping her take care of the kids. Vicky said herself, she couldn't get out of bed for the first week or so after yeah. Eddie's funeral. Um, so Nancy helped her pull herself together for the sake of herself for the kids, and she stayed there for a month. Yeah, that's a good friend, right? But it, exactly like you're saying, Chris is coming over because also his wife is there. Yeah, right. That's where his wife is. That's where Vicky is, and he's just going around different rooms of the house. Like, Eddie's gym. Yep. Eddie's side of the bed. And he's just, like, laying there or sitting there and just crying and hugging his stuff. Yeah. Like, his pillow or I can't imagine what's in the gym that he would hug. But, you know, it's really, he's having a really hard time. Yeah. He's struggling to come to terms with the loss of his friend. But it was around this time as well that Chris started to seem also kind of paranoid in addition to everything else that's going on. so. Sandra, that's Nancy's sister, um, he said she he would bring up people's children being kidnapped. And he made it, she used specific language about fans going sideways. I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see. Um, that was a term that he's using. So he's starting to get like weird ideas and, you know, he's starting to deteriorate a little bit. But she said he even started taking his car different routes places because he has this weird paranoia that's kind of unfounded. Like, where is it coming from? You know, we don't know, but Nancy started voicing her worry to friends and that she didn't know what was going on with him. And he was very short tempered and irritable and they would fight, but it was about stuff that she didn't even know why he would be upset about certain things. Like she just didn't know where this was coming from. So clearly it's still kind of like a symptom of, of what's going on. So Sandra also said that, there were a few months where he just kind of closed down and didn't even talk to Nancy. So now it's like even like another level. Um, and that is when they got him the journal to talk to Eddie. That was kind of their idea to kind of get him to channel these thoughts and feelings and like a way for him to be closer um, or, or like feel like his friend is still there in a way, kind yeah. of. Um, and they actually said it helped a little bit. Like it seemed like it was helping. Um, And he started to kind of slowly come back. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit. Unless you have anything to add, wrestling-wise.
1: Well, the other thing too is that you know Eddie Guerrero died in November 2005. Right. But he also had two other close friends pass away that were in the business. Yeah. Uh, The first one was a, a wrestler named Johnny Grunge. He was in the tag team Public Enemy. Uh, He actually was a, he lived the next town over from Benoit in Georgia. He passed away. Uh, He had, he had, he had some drug issues, but he passed away. But apparently he was a guy that Benoit would constantly rely on with uh, Nancy and him weren't getting along because of shoulder to cry on. Right. Um, And he passed away in January. And then um, another wrestler that uh, he was friends with uh, from Japan uh, named Black Tiger passed away in February. So he had three prominent deaths that were in the wrestling business Right. very close uh, the coincide. And, uh, I can only imagine like, you know, him having Guerrero's death and how, how hard he took it yeah. Then having these other two people pass away. And I'm sure it did not help his mental state at all.
0: No, I'm sure it wouldn't, but that brings us to June 21st, 2007, right? So time has passed between Eddie's death and these other deaths you're mentioning and just the, The whole time, he's kind of in the state of just, like, irritability, and he's fighting with his wife. He's still kind of stoic at work. Um, So people don't really know what's going on, but he's changed. You know, he's changed. So Chris calls Chavo on this day because they're supposed to be at a show in Laredo, Texas. Larido? Larido. Larido? Yeah. Runs suspiciously with Dorito, Kevin. (laughs) Kevin loves Doritos. Yeah, we'll do another
1: podcast someday about that.
0: That's the plan. All right, so... Chris tells Chavo he's not going to make it because Nancy and Daniel have food poisoning. And Chavo's like, all right, sorry to hear that. Um, they, He re- was reminding them they have a pay-per-view the next night. And Chris is like, yeah, great. I'll be there. Whatever. Um, Before they hang up, Chris pauses and is like, Chavo, I love you. And Chavo's like, cool. I love you too, bro. Are you okay? <laughs> like, he's just as like going about his day. He's like, fine. um, And he thought it was weird. Chris said that to him, because it wasn't a the thing they normally say. And Chris said, yeah, he was tired, whatever, whatever. So they hang up, and Chavo says at about 5.30 in the morning on June 22nd, he gets a text from Chris saying, that's a word that I just said, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area and the back door is open. And Chavo's like, what? But he's sleeping, so whatever. Another text from Nancy's phone comes in saying the same thing, and then another text with the address. And Chavo's like, um... What's, what's this? But doesn't really do anything about it because he's supposed to Chris uh, pick Chris up from the airport in a few hours. So he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I don't know. So in the morning, he gets up and goes to get breakfast and asks a ref that he had traveled with Scott Armstrong if he got a weird text from Chris and he said, yeah, and it said the same thing. So no time is going by. Nobody's hearing from Chris. The word is starting to get around about the messages. Who did he tell? Like It was like their head of What's the guy's name? Like, the guy who was kind of in charge of keeping the guys on track. Like, he told him about the messages.
1: Yeah, I believe um, – it wasn't Johnny Ace at the time, was it?
0: I don't – I don't know. It might
1: have been somebody else. Maybe Jim Ross. Jim Ross might have still been in charge of that. It wasn't talent Jim relations. Ross. It
0: wasn't Jim Ross. Because
1: I thought after Jim Ross leaves for talent relations, I thought it was John uh, John, John was Johnny Ace.
0: No, so it might be him. Yeah, it might it be, be him. him. Yeah, okay. Um. So he's like, why didn't you tell me about this before? Like, getting these weird messages. So they communicate that to Vince. Vince has them do um, a wellness check to Chris's home because they're like, no one's hearing from them. They're getting a little nervous. So later, Vince holds a meeting at ringside. So remember, they're doing um, the pay-per-view that night. Um so he's there. He has the meeting. Vicky's there. A bunch of people we mentioned were there. Simolenko um, is there. Yeah. And he tells them that he heard that Chris, Nancy, and Daniel had all passed away. Nobody had any details at that time or knew what was going on, but the general vibe was that something was not right, you know. So Larry Alden of the Fayette County Sheriff's Office was lieutenant of the shift when the call came in about a wellness check, So he is kind of in the area. He goes to the home to check it out. They run into a neighbor, Holly, who had said it had been three to four days since she had seen anyone. And apparently she had a pretty friendly relationship with them. She said she fed their dogs when they were away. Um, and Alden asked her if there was something she could do with their dogs so that they could do a wellness check. And she said, fine. And she went to the house actually with the dogs And was in there for a few minutes, which I don't love. Like, just get out of the way. The police Mm -hmm. are like, here, can you help us out? And she's like, sure, I'm going to go in the house. Like, no, don't do that. (laughs) So then she comes back out screaming because she had found Daniel. um, And he was deceased, which, again, like, all I'm thinking of as a true crime person is crime scene, crime scene, crime scene. You're getting shit all over the crime scene. Like, what are you doing? Um, don't perform your own wellness check. That's a good PSA to all of us out there and here.
1: So No, that's terrible. The, uh, the cops telling a neighbor to go in, that's awful. Well,
0: I don't know if they told her to go in. I think they just told her, do something with the dogs, like put them somewhere else so we can get in. And she's like, sure, I'll go in the house. And they were like, oh, uh, okay. so she did
1: not She didn't exactly like follow what they wanted her to do.
0: I mean, that's maybe. just me kind of editorializing. That's what I imagine happened. Because I don't think they would just tell her to go in the house. Do you know what I mean? True, that yeah. That seems weird. That, might be, yeah, that seems right. weird to me. Um. So Alden and his deputy enter the home and immediately notice a smell, which is never a good sign. So they go up the stairs to a bedroom, and that's where they found Daniel. He was laying face down on his bed. They found Nancy in another room. She was on the floor wrapped in a blanket or a towel. They weren't entirely sure. In the basement area, they located the gym and found Chris and they first noticed him by reflection in the mirror, he was kind of elevated, um, and the deputy started saying for him to put his hands up, and she didn't initially see that he had a weight machine cable wrapped around his neck, and he was gone as well. Um, Alden immediately said it looked like a murder-suicide. That was his initial, immediate, like mm-hmm. just based on what he was observing in the home. Um, but around the same time, in another part of the world known as Texas, so not, not that far away. Um, WWE had shows every week, right? That's how it works. They were raw. Um, and everyone knows at this point Chris Benoit has passed away. Yes. There are no details. No. Right? It's just being investigated. And initially, I hear different things about this. People were first thinking maybe something just happened with him. Um, maybe there was an accident. You know, they don't, they're not really sure, but Vince feels like he can't not address this. Right. It's hitting the news; everyone's hearing about it. So they use their show as a tribute to Chris, his career, his family, his fans. They're talking about all of it, and they're honoring him. From the sounds of it, everybody deeply regrets making that.
1: Absolutely, I remember yeah. I wasn't really watching wrestling at the time because it really declined in quality. Yeah. But I watched that. I wanted to make. I wanted to see what they do. Yeah. Um, and it was a full-on tribute show to Chris Benoit. It was the same uh, same concept as when Eddie Guerrero passed away or when Owen Hart passed away. You have the different uh, interviews of the wrestlers um, saying what they thought about Chris. And look, Chris was a very universally liked guy in the locker room. Like he was well respected. He was. People said he didn't. Have, you know, he was the nicest guy. Like that, I mean, you hear that a lot about those types of things, but. You know, that's that's like the general consensus of everybody because that's how they really felt about him because he really wasn't a guy that, you know, he was intense in the ring, but he wasn't that type of person outside no. of it.
0: Yeah. No, he wasn't. And, you know, what's that thing Chris Jericho said? If you lined up 100 people, you were like, who's going to murder their family? Certainly wouldn't be him.
1: No. You know? And I think that, I think that's pretty much what everybody kind of thought.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's... that's but that's thing. why... That definitely seems to be the the like consensus among everyone is they were just so shocked. But, you know, with this situation and, and Jim Ross was the one who was like, we didn't have the information. We thought we had the information, but we didn't. And that's a thing that's so hard with any kind of investigation um, is initially it might look like one thing or they can't release all the details because it's ongoing. So you might think you know everything. But really, it takes a few days to to kind of get a full picture, and that's like best case scenario. A few days, yeah. Um, so you know, <laughs> it's kind of not great for them to have done that, but they thought they knew everything. Like, and again,
1: that's kind of, it's very difficult to find that episode. Okay, I know. well, not, they
0: they wiped it. Yeah, they wiped it's not.
1: Everything. I mean, if it's on YouTube, I mean, maybe maybe try like another site like Daily Motion. Yeah. it could be somewhere. I'm not yeah. saying it doesn't exist but they definitely went out of their way to like erase it they from did. their official archive records. And
0: I can kind of see from both sides. Like I understand them wanting to do something on the flip of that. Like I said, from a wrestling perspective, from a business perspective, yeah. I understand on the other hand, for a murder investigation, you got to wait. <laughs> wait, you got to wait, you got to Yeah. And it's certainly,
1: and it certainly backfired on them. And yeah. uh, you know, the next show that they had uh, Vince McMahon uh, made a pretty much declarative statement right in the beginning that uh, based on, more information that we've received. Uh, this will be the last time we mention Mr. Benoit's name on this program, and that's that. He
0: and he didn't say ever, but that's what he meant. That's what he meant. And, <laughs> and no one is like even allowed to this day to talk about him, or Correct. even. Unfortunately, also that also extends to like Nancy and Daniel, and that's awful. But because just the the cloud Correct. surrounding it, it's just bad. But so. After the show, like you're saying, this the information is actually coming out, like for real. This is what happened. Everyone's finding out that Chris murdered his wife and his child and then took his own life. And nobody wanted to believe that, right? No one could believe it. It's just like what you were saying about the locker room, how everyone thought he was like a a good guy. They would trust him with his kids. But it's also the same thing thing about how how much
1: they seemed like he loved his family. Right. Like especially his son. Right, you know, like how how loving and and caring he felt, he felt, and even like the way that he would talk about the family. Now, you start to hear a little bit more about the tension between him and Nancy because right. there are a lot of things that led up to that, um, and who knows how it first transpired with when he murdered her, like what actually went down.
0: So as far as sequence of events, here's what happened. Chris actually goes to his doctor's office that day. It's on a Friday. That's when it all begins. And it's important to know, because I know sometimes the details get a little hazy. This happened over the course of three days. Which makes
1: it even more bizarre.
0: Well, even more awful and bizarre. But so he goes to his doctor's office. His doctor later said he seemed totally fine. No signs of distress, no signs of, rage or anger or whatever and then he goes home and he has a fight with nancy she was restrained at the ankles and wrists and strangled with a telephone cord i have heard in different places that he had his knee in her back this was evidenced by bruising and essentially broke her back that's god awful um there's a police photo that they show in the documentary uh dark side of the ring Shows a garbage can full of beer cans and Red Bull cans, and I also heard that there were wine bottles scattered about. Yeah. So it appeared he had been drinking a bit. Um,
1: I would assume that they were both probably drinking. Uh, I don't know the toxicology report for Nancy, but it did. I would I would assume that maybe alcohol was starting to become an issue as far as uh, with her. Their, their disputes. I mean, Chris and her maybe. Uh, I never
0: heard anything about her. It's I, I don't
1: know either, but I mean, again, we found the cans, we found the I wine know. bottles. I tried to
0: find her talks, I couldn't get it.
1: Got it. Okay. I couldn't
0: get it. I tried to get it. Um,
1: but uh, but I also know, um, you know, there was a time where you know she had a restraining order against
0: him. She sure did. Yeah. Um, but so after we're going to get into that in a little bit, but after Nancy had been murdered, a Bible was placed next to her body. Then the next morning, it's assumed that Chris gave Daniel Xanax and he then suffocated him. Um, I have heard that Chris had used his finisher on him, known as the crippler crossface. I cannot confirm this anywhere. However, he didn't have, Daniel did not have any injuries, only bruising internally.
1: Yeah, I would assume.
0: In his throat. I want to. That I, I would
1: assume more of a basic chokehold type of thing. Uh, I don't. Well, I don't know. Do I it...
0: I think you know people sensationalize a lot. Like yeah. like Jim Ross said this whole thing about the media loves to take shots at wrestling.
1: Yep.
0: And oh,
1: they were waiting for this.
0: And they were waiting for it. But I'm saying that's kind of like a lore thing. Like I heard he used this finisher. Like we don't know that. Right. But he did suffocate him.
1: No, he it's, did No matter how, no matter how it's you state it, it's awful. It just, doesn't matter. It's absolutely awful. Yeah. At the end of the and day, waited it not And he waited a day. I mean that's the other thing too. That's just, um, you know, you don't know his mental state, and obviously his mental state is completely shattered. But
0: well, the other thing that's weird, uh,
1: it's just like that. That like to wait a day, like to to like have a day where your 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 wife that you just strangled to death is sitting there, and then you got your little boy. Like it just makes it irredeemable. Like just absolutely no matter what you thought of him as a wrestler which you know both of us you know obviously if you th- from a wrestling standpoint he was
0: a great technical one wrestler one of the greatest
1: wrestlers of all time but
0: he is a piece of you shit can't <laughs> sorry
1: you can't discount like this is the stuff now that he'll be remembered for unfortunately it's
0: tainted his whole legacy forever this so, is, this is
1: it so yeah like you said so i mean it's a day after he apparently drugged the boy put him in a chokehold
0: yeah
1: and uh and 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 you know Yeah, I just, I don't know what to say. But
0: what's weird, they also found a knife under his bed, under Daniel's bed. I want to be very clear. It wasn't used. And Chris put it there. Why? Because he didn't want to hurt. That's another thing. And we're going to get into some more of the details about that later. Like I said, I'm going through the events. But he didn't want to hurt him. He didn't want to,
1: but it's also pure speculation. So I mean, maybe he didn't know exactly how to do it, and maybe that was maybe one of the things he was considering. I don't know. But he
0: brought it in with him.
1: Sure, maybe you know? he, that was maybe what he was going to do. That's awful. I mean, if the boy's knocked out,
0: awful.
1: It's not like he can struggle, right? Because if he's if he's drugged, uh, I don't even
0: like to think. About I'm just that. saying, you know, no, I, I don't know, know. I know. I know. I mean,
1: that's my speculation with the knife. I don't know. No, I, I know. I, 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 mean, I know they they said that it was under the bed, so I don't. It
0: what? There's a picture of it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, cuz yeah
0: it's i know it's awful but so a bible was also placed next to daniel after
1: another bible right
0: he was killed um it has been said that after this is when he started texting people yeah so that's kind of how that worked out um about the food poisoning that we mentioned before so but
1: well, you got to remember too so so friday was the first happened, right with nancy yes so he friday talked, he talked to he talked to chavo yeah he killed his wife and he still talked to Chavo and said, uh
0: Oh, I'm just tired. And he said
1: he said, Oh, I'm gonna be on the next flight to Houston. Like like he's he's like, Oh, I'm gonna catch you at four. I mean,
0: 5:00. he was just buying time, obviously. But what I'm saying like, No, I know, it's fucked up. That's
1: that's like <laughs> it's, but it's... that's a guy that's just has gone. He's gone mentally just out.
0: Right. So he again, and I just wanna reiterate without getting into it too much because we just talked about it, but he spent the night after killing Nancy in the house with Daniel. Or, and then he spent the night again in the house after he had killed Daniel as well. So he's just sleeping in the house with the people he murdered. I can't, I can't imagine. That's insane.
1: And think about it. They did a a two hour show as a tribute to him before finding this out.
0: That's crazy. They should have waited. They should, I mean, I know. They could have
1: waited till the, to like SmackDown on Thursday or whatever, whenever it was airing at the time, Friday or whatever they did.
0: I'm sure people would have understood, but I mean, it's, it's what's happened. So,
1: uh, yeah. I, you know, again, I, um, I just think about things like that. And, uh, you know, there's a possibility too, that like, maybe he was thinking about like, can I get away with this?
0: Well, right. So that's, that's a thing. I think about is, I think that my kind of theory is that he killed Nancy kind of in like a heat of passion moment. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't think he intended to initially. But then he did.
1: They argued and they snapped and maybe she didn't wake up. And then like he had needed to to do something.
0: I mean, I think he killed her while she was very much awake. And I think it was awful, which I I hate to say. But I think that he spent the night being like, what am I going to do? And then I think he killed Daniel because he, he thought he wasn't going to get away with it. And he thought that he had to because his mom was gone. And how does he explain that to his son? And then I think well, I know, we know, because what happened next was, and this is not my theory, this is what actually happened, he put, um, he looked for some weird, troubling things on the internet. The first thing he looked for was something about, a story in the Bible about Elijah and the resurrection of a dead child. That's what he's looking up hours after he murders his son. Yeah. So he's like, he, that, this one of the things that bothers me so much about this, is there's intention and thought. Like, we can see it. So while he's gone, he has enough wherewithal to be contacting people and sounding semi-normal and doing internet searches and all this shit. And I just, I don't like it. But the other search he did was about what is the easiest way to break your own neck? So then he went down to his gym later that day with a bottle of wine. He took the bar off of his lat pull-down machine he wrapped a towel around his neck and then wrapped the metal cord around his neck. He set the weight at 240 pounds and he let go. That's what happened after that. And I can't say that I'm sorry about it. It sucks. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it all sucks. But listen. Um,
1: but that's, um, you know, uh, I know you got to get into. You know, his. Um, mental state and, you know, you know, kind of what. Happen with his brain and that kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they've said many times when people snap, when they have brain, you know, serious brain injuries. Right. That they kind of act like that, that they want to take everybody with them. It's almost like they want to leave the earth at the same time with them. And it's a very religious thing that happens with them.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that given the Bibles that he placed next to them after. Yeah. After the fact. And I don't
1: know if Chris Benoit was a very religious man to begin with. I, I don't know. That's one thing I didn't never heard about.
0: He wasn't.
1: That He wasn't right.
0: No, but he learned that from Eddie. Right. Eddie was like teaching him the ways. Cause that's what was helping Eddie. So Eddie was passing that along and Chris was happy to hear it and right. learn about it. Um, so he was, like, being, you know, had some education, and maybe in his warped brain, he thought this was what was right, you know, at the time. Um, and there was another Bible actually found somewhere in the house, so this is the third Bible, where Chris essentially left a suicide note. Yeah. And it said something to the effect of, I'm preparing to leave this earth. Something, yeah. Something like that. No one ever, like, released No. that yeah. or whatever. Um, I think
1: his father was the one that came out and said that there was a suicide note.
0: His father actually has the journal. Um, And this is an interesting fact that I found out um, from another source. This wasn't in the documentary. The journal I mentioned earlier that we're just talking about again, um, that Chris was given to write to Eddie was found in the trash outside the home. So was that a part of him? snapping was that something that nancy was like fuck you and like threw it in the trash
1: oh maybe was that
0: something that he threw out because he's like i'm gonna be dead soon anyway i'm gonna see you in heaven and threw it in the trash himself like it's just an interesting thing that i was like what is that what is the meaning of that
1: my interpretation of that is that i think there was a time where he was thinking about how can I swing this where possibly it could look like they were murdered by someone else? And I think throwing the journal out, throwing the journal out
0: yeah.
1: uh, I don't think he wanted anybody to discover that or, or look at that because it would kind of implicate him in what happened. That's my speculation about it. But he so. didn't like
0: write about it and he was like, dear diary. But we don't
1: know what's in that journal. Well, he we could have.
0: I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. that's.
1: I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the, the father's never really shared exactly what's in it but it can't be anything that's like sane right no well, it's got to be he's talking to a dead person said, so who knows the last couple of days he's might even be writing after he killed nancy who knows what he was doing with you're that, right you're you right
0: know? okay but his maybe dad, it's that
1: he wrote something and then he was like i can't let anybody see this
0: his dad said at one point that um he was like this is like a watching my son go insane like reading the diary, yeah. it reads like he's losing his mind. And they asked like, the father. They
1: asked and said, "Did you notice anything?" He's like, "I didn't live close to him, so I, didn't, I couldn't really tell."
0: And he said, "Well, he said I had no idea this is what was going on with him at that time. Yeah, he had no idea of that." So, so apparently, professional wrestlers are twenty times more likely to die before the age of forty, 40 than even football players, due to the nature of stress they put in their bodies, concussions, etc. Right. Um, months leading up to the murders, Nancy sent several texts to Chris, which kind of give a glimpse into what was going on in the house. So I have a few of those. Um, I will not accept this steroid-induced roller coaster ride of emotional abuse. Ignoring the problem or running away isn't going to help you face it. Your big claim: Ask anyone you work with how you are. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Get off the crap you're on. It's making you passive aggressive and I don't need the abuse. Right? So she's she's telling him. Yeah. And her reputation, it's something that makes me smile about her. She took no shit ever right. from anyone. So she's really, she's standing up for herself. And unfortunately that put her in, you know, not the best situations. Right. Um, Or relationships. And especially with guys like this. They don't like that. Yep. And Chris, again, Chris, it's been said that he was a good guy. He was a stand-up guy. In general, though, aggressive men like that do not like for you to stand up for yourself. They will hurt you. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so, so.
1: Thanks, Forrest.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> well, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. She also said... One in one of her texts that we both know the wellness program is a joke, refer, referring to yeah. WWE's drug testing policy, um, and it's largely debated. Some people say it's really strict, and some people say it's loaded with loopholes. It depends who you ask, really. Um, I hear a lot of different back and forth about it, but Chris Benoit's autopsy report shows tremendous amounts of testosterone in his system yeah and testosterone is a steroid banned in all major sports allegedly he had 10 times the normal amount of testosterone obviously men produce testosterone in their bodies but we're talking 10 times the normal amount and he somehow passed all his wellness checks that is not possible it's not it's just not possible to pass and have that much in your system um friends spoke of you kind of mentioned this before like volatile fights behind closed doors and that's why it's interesting what william regal said in the special do you remember that yeah what he said about all i'll say i'm just recalling this from memory is like all i'll say is he's one of the greatest wrestlers of our time something like that and he wouldn't speak to his personality or character right and then it was found out that he kind of, like, lived locally. Yeah, he
1: was in, he was a Georgia native, yeah. Yeah, he
0: kind of lived locally. Or like not a native, thing.
1: but he lived he was locally.
0: A there. native, well, he's from, like, England, yeah, he's right? he's
1: from Blackpool, <laughs> Blackpool.
0: Right.
1: You um, miserable little toe rag.
0: Wow. Sorry, that's okay. my William
1: Regal impression. That's Wait, enough
0: of that. We went there. Don't sue us for stealing your gimmicks, right? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so apparently, because he had lived kind of locally, he kind of heard more than other people about, Things were, that were happening in these fights, these very volatile fights, because yeah. Nancy's not taking shit. And Chris, who's kind of like his brain's all wonky at this point, um, led to kind of a lot of blow ups. Um, so apparently he once broke a windshield while fighting with her. Yeah. And eventually, according to Nancy's sister, he did put hands on her, whether by accident or with intention, nobody knows. There were other things she wasn't willing to speak on, but she had knowledge of other occurrences, but she didn't want to talk about it. Well um, Vicky
1: Guerrero too. I mean that she stayed with Vicky for a little while when they were having problems too.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You know, there was there was a time where she had a restraining order that she withdrew.
0: Exactly, exactly right. So um just like you're saying, she got a restraining order against him and but she dropped it. Yeah. She, she dropped, wound up dropping yeah. it because they, they separated yep. for a time. And then she dropped it and he's back in the house. They yep. get back together. Um Some speculated that some of the tension in the home could also be equated or explained by, rather, their son, Daniel, having um, a genetic disorder called Fragile X Syndrome. It can uh, lead to kind of like autistic-like behavior, and that's a stressor for them. I was actually reading an article earlier today about how people have uh, had conversations with him about with them about placing Daniel in certain schools and it was stressing them out. So it seems like, even though we can't find this confirmed anywhere, it kind of seems like it was true.
1: Possible. I mean, look, you know, just being on the autistic spectrum, I mean, it, maybe it wasn't exactly Fragile X,
0: but, something but like it could a... have been
1: something along those lines that he yeah. needed special education, which again is, a, that's a stressor in, in the household, especially Absolutely. when things are already volatile and, and seemingly falling apart. I mean, it doesn't help that you know you have that added uh, stress and, and problem, but um, right. you know, uh, again, uh, it's it's all speculation. And all I know is is that there was a time where it was confirmed by the media that he had this, but then the family would come out and say, "I never heard Nancy or Chris say one time that he had
0: it." Right. So
1: it was just a very gray area. But again, like you were saying if you're if you're mentioning special education maybe it's something along those lines that it wasn't exactly that but the media being so all knowing right. and omnipotent just went out and said it was this
0: yeah totally that's and that's totally possible um so this terrible thing has happened right everybody wants answers nobody understands why so enter chris nowinski yes enter chris nowinski Former professional wrestler turned neuroscientist. That is not something you hear about a lot.
1: Well, he did graduate from Harvard, so.
0: He sure did, but I'm saying in general, like it's like they go on to be like, I'm, no, I know, I'm yeah. a garbage man, like I don't.
1: <laughs> well, the reason why he became this is because right. he was the poster child for what concussions really do to you. I mean, he, he suffered, I think he said, within like a week or two week span, like four concussions.
0: Exactly. And he couldn't
1: even get out of bed.
0: No, so he said initially even, he had a lot of concussions, and he didn't necessarily realize they were concussions. Or like you were saying before, you don't want to lose your spot. You shake it off, and you keep going, and you just get more concussions.
1: And how many times now do you hear in the NFL about that now with this new concussion protocol that they have? Exactly. As soon as someone has a head injury, they're taken out of the game. Right. Years ago, that was not the case. No. And you got to remember, the Chris Benoit was coming from an era where when you took a chair shot to the head, you didn't put your hand up. You no. took it. Right in the head.
0: You took it right in the head. Exactly. Right so
1: head. think about that five nights a week or whatever he was doing. But I'm not saying he took it five nights a week. But those types of things, Right. when you get a concussion, you don't go back there and go, I think I got a concussion. You go, yeah, I, I'm having trouble seeing out of my one eye. But uh, we got the show next week.
0: <laughs> Just slap an eye patch on That's side. what I mean. Like
1: that's the five. way it was. It was sh- Everything was shaking off. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, I, I, I blew my knee out. Yeah, but we got a pay per view tomorrow. Right. You know, it's it, That's how it was. Is suck it up. It's part of the, the show must go on. Right. It doesn't matter how hurt you are. If you can, if you can talk, if you can see me, okay for work. You're good. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the things that Chris Nowinski said is that he just went on wrestling until he just like couldn't anymore mm-hmm. because of the damage that he had sustained. So CTE is the term that became heavily associated with this tragic incident and others cte is chronic traumatic let's see if i can do it encephalopathy yes i'm not doing it got it it's a degenerative brain disease i'm not celebrating cc just that i could say the word um degenerative brain disease that can be started by hits to the head um there were incidences of suicide hearing voices etc among nfl players that's kind of where this research began um chris nowinski was interested in, or actually, no, sorry, Chris Benoit was interested in Nowinski's research and told him he had more concussions than he could count. He didn't even know how many. He had no idea, but it was a lot. Um,
1: and if you say, if you ask most of the wrestlers during that time, they probably say the same thing to you. I
0: don't know. A lot. Probably yep. a lot. Would little more than 10? Oh, yeah, definitely, right? Um, so at one point, he called him. I believe, I believe it's Nowinski that called Benoit, I believe. And there was, like, an argument going on in the background. He was like, oh, I'll call you that, whatever. Yeah. And I don't know that they ever spoke again. But Nowinski wondered if the reason Chris was so interested in his research is because he thought there might be something going on with him. Like, he started to see signs or, like, maybe, like, he didn't like that he was in a bad mood all the time or maybe other neurological-type things, you know, started happening. Um, so... He calls Chris's family, Nowinski does, after Chris passes and tells him his theory. And they decided to give him Chris's brain to study, which is great. It was determined that Chris had severe CTE and it wasn't limited to one area of the brain. So there was damage to parts that could potentially influence emotional behavior, which is a big find. Um, One of the things with CTE is... Even if you quit and you stop getting hit in the head, the damage is done. Mm-hmm. It's already begun. It's degenerative, right? So it's just going to keep going. Um, and it can change who you are as a person. So maybe things you wouldn't have been capable of doing before are now on the table. Yeah, It's possible. Um, earlier, we talked about Chris's signature move, flying headbutt or diving headbutt, depending on who you ask, um, and taking those chair shots. Extremely hard you can see their heads open up because you know it's crazy um so it's not really a surprise that these findings
1: no not at at. all i mean to think about you know now he's what 20 20 plus years in the business and just no time off no just just going at it every like five days a week it takes its toll and yeah um but again you don't want to stop
0: you don't want to stop but so another thing they said it was chris had the brain of an 85 year old um, dementia patient it's but crazy. it's i know it's crazy but here's the thing that i was watching these interviews with with vince mcmahon because there's a lot of back and forth between wwe officials and like this scandal like aren't don't you feel responsible like they were kind of really hammering them with all these questions so vince starts doing these interviews and he makes kind of a valid point at one point so they say chris has this 85 bre- year old dementia patient brain and vince is like If that's true, I would argue that he shouldn't be doing anything. How could he get to the airport by himself? And I'm like, that's a good point, (laughs) you know, because it's like, how does that work in the body of a young person who had a semi-healthy brain? Like maybe it's almost like muscle memory. You can still do certain things and your brain's so fucked. Like, I'm not sure how that works. I don't know the science. I'm not a neuroscientist. But it's just an interesting point that he made though, right? About like, well, how could he do, how could he function? if that's true.
1: Yeah. I would have to say that, you know, you definitely had those small things that you would notice with him, but I would have to say that like the onset of like the full symptoms of that, maybe we're going to happen a lot earlier in life than like, like when you say dementia, I mean, at the time of what was Chris like 43, what was held? Was he, I, I don't even know. But, um, maybe in his fifties, like he starts to have that stuff happen to him because that's what I, that's what I noticed with NFL players. Like yeah. they were starting to do like in the four in their forties, you know, but they're
0: saying like his brain's already so deteriorated. So they're I don't know if you saw, well, I know they talked about it a little bit, but they talk about these proteins in your brain. Did mm-hmm. you see that part where it indicates brain damage? Yeah. And the, if you look at like the, I don't want to call it like, an x-ray, but if you look at like the picture of it versus a normal brain, and they're so close together Yeah. in his brain. Like I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, wow, that's awful. Because And it was legit his brain. They're like, this is his brain. This is what we found we examined it. How could he do those things? And like you're saying, you know, maybe later he would start to show them. But if his brain's already in that condition, how, again, I'm not a neuroscientist. And I again, understand. we don't
1: know. And, and, and that's the thing too. I'm sure he's not the, the only person that they've studied the brain of, of a ex NFL player or whoever. Right. And I've said, this is the brain of an 85 year old man. Right. Now I'm sure there's, there's people that are similar to him that maybe had the same things happen because what I know is that there are instances that I've heard of, of trying to kill people, committing suicide, that type of stuff. I've heard things like that, where they're completely paranoid. They're completely like, don't trust anyone. Right. They think someone's following them. Like, I've heard the same type of things right. with the similar things that Chris Benoit was reportedly doing around right. the time that he that he did this. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's like, if you're a neuroscientist, let us know. Fill in the blanks for us. Because we we want to know. We want to understand. It's not just enough to know. We want to understand. But, so like I was saying about, about WWE and, and the media going back and forth, right? So they're asking them, do they ban substances? Is the wellness policy enough? Don't you care about your wrestlers? And Vince was, or always, very careful to say, "We do everything we're supposed to do. And what they choose to do, what they sign up for, is not really on us." And that's right, right. Which is a good point, but it sounded very heartless when he said it, because um, you're, you're the guy. Like, don't you care about your guys? And he's like, "Well, it's not really my job to worry about, you know, them, their bodies, whatever." But
1: well, Vince is Vince. You know, Vince that's is Vince. I know. At least he's keeping it real, because that's how he is. He
0: keeps it very real. But I have heard. They have created a more strict wellness policy. I don't know enough about the workings of it to speak on that, but no more chair shots to the head are allowed. Yep. So that's something. But think about all the other ways you're getting concussions.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to bring this up again. Um, Do it. So Bob Holly, if you ever have a chance to listen to any of his interviews uh, after he was done wrestling, he's just very honest because he doesn't care. He uh, he said, that the wellness policy before Benoit was all about who failed. It was about, Oh wait, did Randy Orton? Oh, Oh, cause he smokes pot every day. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was the thing. It was like, if, if they didn't, if, if it was a big star and like they say had at a pay-per-view, right. They weren't going to do anything. Exactly.
0: Well, exactly. But if it's like
1: someone like on the mid card or somebody that like, you know, is a curtain jerker,
0: right.
1: Yeah. He's getting suspended. Right. But it depended – he said it all depended on who it was. Right. And he said that um, originally they told him that the doctor that was going to do it was the guy that made the decisions on the suspensions and all that. And then Holly said that – so the doctor told him, no, 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 then I'd give this information to Vince and then he makes the decision. He said, right. that's not what they told me. Right. They said that you're the one that is the one that makes the final decision about who gets suspended and who doesn't. Right. Or who passes who doesn't pass. Mm-hmm. So then that's when he came to realize it was like, okay, if they don't – if you're a certain guy and they don't want you to know that – or they want you to stay on the show, you're going to get through. Exactly. But then you noticed it afterwards. Like, I mean, when a guy like Roman Reigns gets suspended, right? you know that they're taking it more seriously.
0: Right. right? That's exactly right. It, it, it's, you know, it's a flawed system and it depends on who they like this week. You know, it's one of those businesses – Um,
1: But the media destroyed – like, the media – this was their outlet of steroid abuse. Like, this was not about brain – this was about, like, I knew it. I knew it was all roid rage and all this. Like, that's all it was throughout the next month or two on CNN and whatever else.
0: Every documentary I saw was, like – an amalgamation of news clips about steroids, 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 steroids. That's exactly right. That's what they did. And that's not the, the main issue here. Is it an issue? Sure. Is it the issue? No, I don't think so. I, it's not great to do. I've been around, like I mentioned, people who were on steroids, right. who turned into giant, terrible assholes. Yeah, Road Rage
1: is real. It's for real. Sure.
0: It's real. I've seen it. But it doesn't methodically it doesn't, no.
1: make you kill your family sh- in a three-day span. It sure
0: doesn't. It sure it really and
1: that's is. what the media was trying to say. Like, look
0: at this roided out freak. Like no.
1: it was and then and then they had all the wrestlers on the programs. Chris Jericho. John Cena. Mark Marrow showed up out of nowhere. <laughs> Steve Blackman was on the shows. Yeah. Like it was like, where are you getting these guys? Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, it
0: was kind of crazy. But the thing is, and this is it's it's hard because we're never gonna know. What was the thing that made him snap? It's something I think about. I don't want to say I think about all the time. It's not not one
1: thing. It's all of it. What we just told you. No, but I mean
0: in that night, that night with Nancy, what was the thing that she said or occurred that.
1: Look, this is speculatively or whatever the, you know, Nancy's.
0: Wild sisters
1: Sister said. Sandra. Sandra. That this wasn't the first time that Benoit had been violent with her, right?
0: Yeah, but did he tie her up before and try to choke her with a telephone cord? I don't know. I would say probably no. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not.
1: But at the same time, um, you know, we're never going to know. We're never going to know what took place. Um, But a little part of me thinks that he took it too far. I don't think he meant to kill her. But when he did. He did. It was yeah. like his master plan started happening well,
0: yeah. in and his head
1: about what he was going to do next.
0: It's not And one that's thing. what makes it
1: just even worse. Right.
0: But it's not one thing. Like, that's what we're, that's what we've been talking about kind of this whole time. It's the CTE, it's the steroids, it's the alcohol. He had in his system Xanax and Hydrocodone.
1: Yeah. In and, his system. And they found stuff all over the house too, I believe.
0: Right. That but that's that's just what's going on immediately in him that we know about. Yeah. That's that's all confirmed, everything that I just said. Mixed um, with alcohol. By mixed way. with alcohol yeah. and his dementia brain, all those things together. Um, so it's obviously the makings of something. Yeah. You know, which is not great. And I'm going to I'm gonna bring him up again. Your favorite, Bob <laughs> Holly. Your favorite. Also known as Hardcore Holly. If, you, if that's easier for you to remember. He told a story about how he was supposed to go hang out with Chris the Wednesday before all of this occurred. Bob, knowing Chris, just came home from being on the road. Wanted to give him some time with his family and didn't call. Chris wound up calling him and was upset. Why didn't you call? And Bob was like, well, you know, I, I just want to give you time. And he explained himself and he actually had some, you know, a little guilt about it. And he, he has come to terms with it, but he was like, maybe if I had met up with him, maybe it wouldn't have yeah, turned out the way it turned out. Maybe he needed to vent. Maybe he needed to get out of the house, maybe something like that. So, you know, and I'm sure any of us would have felt the same if that was us in his shoes. Yeah. Bob you know? said
1: that, uh, Chris told him that Nancy was acting like Hitler that day. That's what he said. Oh my
0: so. gosh. Um, Let's just mention, let's just mention quick some conspiracy theories because those are the facts. What we gave yeah. you all just now were facts. Minor speculation. What we told you, we told you that was happening. Um, there was something I saw. None of this is confirmed, and we can't even find the sources. It's just stuff that we heard and saw on the inter- interwebs. Um, something about their phones. Nancy and Chris's phone being active after they would have already been deceased is something. I couldn't. I tried to look into that more. Can't even find it anymore. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you know, it, I I assume that that's not the case, but no. you know, but because, but then again, obviously, with with the rumor mills and all this speculation, you know, it's it's easy to go with that. Like, what if it wasn't him? You know, right. like, and it's obviously and, and it, it was. clearly him. It was so.
0: They even there was something that remember remember we talked about Kevin Sullivan like three hours ago. Someone said it like he did it. <laughs> He didn't do it because, and someone said because he was a satanist. So he he did such a good job with his gimmick that people are like, "Oh, Kevin Sullivan, he worshipped Satan. He did. He didn't do it, you guys."
1: Yeah, Kevin Sullivan. He didn't do listen, it. Listen, there there are interviews out there where they ask him about that stuff. Okay,
0: which must be so horrible. for Kevin him too. Kevin is
1: far from that character. Like, if you ever listen to him, very intelligent guy. Like, very.
0: Are you um, saying that satanists can't be intelligent?
1: <laughs> what are you I, say? no i'm just saying he's not like you know like it, it's not like when you listen to an interview like he's gonna he's gonna break it down for you he's not gonna be just like well you know he's not like he's not gonna just like gloss over the situation like he right. actually breaks it down and says like how he felt about it and what was going on and that kind of stuff yeah um you know, just keep in mind, like, if you watch Dark Side of the Ring, you know, Kevin was declined to be interviewed uh, for that because of all the speculation about the yeah. domestic abuse that happened. So I understand that. Um, but at the same time, let's just put that to bed. It wasn't Kevin Sullivan.
0: It wasn't you know, Kevin Sullivan. Right? <laughs> um, someone made a point, and this is something I kind of found interesting as well. Um, Chris, before he killed himself, he put a white towel around his neck um, before he... Put the wire around his neck from the weight machine, right? And it's like, why would he do that if he were going to kill himself? But it's still a thing like you're thinking, I understand that as a point, but you don't want it to hurt. Like you're you know you're going to die. You don't want to be hurt. So it's almost like even though it's kind of a futile thing, I get it. I mean, I don't want I don't want to get it, but I get it, you know. So I think we can just throw that right in the trash as well.
1: Yeah, I I wanna say that I read and i don't know where i read it but it, it possibly helped him elevate himself more i don't know like to be easier to break the neck maybe. i don't know
0: maybe it's possible i just
1: don't, like you're right though it's like clearly he's already doing it what what is what is the is what's it,
0: the it's like is when, it in
1: case he changes his mind i don't know no I mean, but like you know. when they do
0: lethal injection they still like like um use the fucking like alcohol or whatever <laughs> yeah, before the real, they inject right, you right just like
1: the skin like yeah. you
0: guys are you're going to kill him and yeah. you're still just don't want an infection like that's awful you know whatever um there was what else was there we talked about the kevin sullivan murder theory oh nancy this is interesting because this is true nancy's death was posted about on wikipedia about 14 hours before it actually happened yeah that's true um but it's not part of a conspiracy that was like some you know anyone can edit wikipedia it was just some like fucker it was a
1: local guy yeah that heard about something happened and he just went with his first gut feeling and that's what that's that's been debunked because they said that that guy they they tracked him down right right and they and they said he just said i heard and i just figured that's what happened yeah she was dead
0: so yeah so they debunked that that had anything to do with like anyone else being involved It was right. just some guy like noodling around on the internet yeah um and that's why we can't have nice things So the last thing is that the neighbor, Holly, the one who went in and did her own welfare check, which again, don't do that. Don't do it. Um, She, this cannot, I cannot confirm this anywhere. It was on a few like weird sites that you made me look at how she saw wrestler Dave Taylor carrying a deli tray possibly to check on the family.
1: Dave Taylor and his wife, and his wife walking with a deli tray. It was not included in the police report. They said Dave Meltzer, who writes the Wrestling Observer, who was like journalism for wrestling, he purported in two thousand, maybe two thousand ten, I think, yeah, maybe even earlier than that. Um, but again, it's not a, it's not like Dave Taylor had anything to do with the murder. It's just that no, the speculation is, is that first of all, Dave Taylor, very low card wrestler, yeah. British wrestler, tag team guy. Um, he said he was in Texas on the road. Right. He wasn't booked for any of the shows in Texas. Right. They said other wrestlers have come out and said that it's very uncommon for someone that's not booked to travel like that. Um, but what I think happened if he was there, because think about it Holly the neighbor. Okay. She's going to tell somebody that a wrestler was there. Dave Taylor. You know, I barely know who Dave Taylor is. And Same. I know most wrestling fans are like, yeah, I kind of know him. He was like a tag team guy. Why would that be the guy? Because clearly she met him before. So right. the theory is is that, and this is a theory. And, and again, this has not been, Dave Taylor denied being there. Um, and the police report didn't have it. Right. Dave Taylor was there possibly for the WWE to check on him. Right. That's all it was.
0: I don't know. Like, even with that, I just feel like, why wouldn't ha- I have heard it anywhere else before?
1: Correct. Yeah. You know? Well, but, yeah, at the same time, it's, uh, Dave Meltzer, again, has been res- writing about wrestling for many, many years, right. so, um.
0: Like, I get it, but I'm just saying, like, why wouldn't anyone else, like, it's harmless. He brought food.
1: Exactly, That's yeah.
0: That's, like, you know, I just feel Well, like- I just,
1: I just think, uh, I think what it, what really played into was, like, the calculatedness of WWE trying to get ahead of a situation. And that's just, you know, again, again, never confirmed that, that, that actually happened, but that was what the neighbor had said. Right. Um, according to Dave
0: Meltzer. So, right. So the last thing, um, it's kind of speculation, but I read about this and I, I'm pretty sure it's true. They found, um, needle marks in Daniel's, was it arms?
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So actually I read, um, It's been speculated that, and again, that no one really talks about, like, his autopsy because it's so tragic. He was only seven years old, like, just awful to think about. But it's been said that they were injecting him with, like, HDH, like, like human growth hormone or whatever, because of his condition, because he wasn't very, like, a big kid, and they were trying to get him to catch up and stuff. Um, So that's not really, like, a dark or twisted thing, really. Like, I'm not sure if that's, like, medically okay. (laughs) Like, I don't know if like a doctor signed off on that or something. Um, That's really as much as I know about it.
1: Yeah, I don't. That's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, initially that was what was said. Um, But if you read later on, it doesn't say anything about that. It's just strange that like it's brought up initially. And I think, you know, hearing that, the needle marks, And thinking about like how everybody in the media is so quick to harp on the steroid thing and that kind of thing. But it also goes back to the idea that the autopsy also never reported that he had any physical impairment. Right. Yeah. He didn't have some, any, anything that was different about his body than a normal sized child would have. So, so again, that's what's, what's kind of like, did he have it? Did he not have it? Were there really Neil Marks? And it's another one of those things that, when you really look at this collectively about like the police investigation, the autopsy, different things, this could have been an easy, non-conspiratorial. Spiritual? Did I make up a word? (laughs) I'm just saying it could have been a lot easier, neatly tied up. Yeah. But I think just the loose ends of different things that happened make it open to the speculation and all the you know the conspiracy theories. I think if if the investigation was a little bit more tighter, the autopsy was tighter about reporting what was found to the media. Yeah. I think this could have been an easy where we just talk about Benoit murdered his, his wife, yeah. he murdered his child, then he killed himself.
0: I mean, I on I'll be honest, I never paid attention to the to the conspiracy theories about this because to me, in my mind, and it's like it's like the Occam's razor principle, the Simplest explanation is usually the correct one. Yeah. And while this, like, really is not this a simple explanation, what happened is not a simple explanation, but it's the one that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So when people were like, oh, this happened, I was like, no, it didn't. <laughs> like, just immediately. I And I like to read. This, that sounds bad. I enjoy reading about stuff like that, but it doesn't mean that I, like, accept it as true. I'm like, oh, that's... That didn't that still didn't happen, you know? Like it's but it's interesting to to learn and see.
1: And when you first hear about this story and you think about, okay, wow, he killed his wife, he killed his son, and then he killed himself all on the same day. Wow. And then you read it and you go, No, he didn't. Three
0: days. Friday,
1: Saturday, Sunday.
0: Three days. A whole
1: weekend to do this. That and is... then you slowly but surely forget about winning the WWE championship. Yep. Being a superstar, revered as one of the greatest. And all you think about is the end. And the end is going to be his legacy. He'll never be mentioned on WWE TV. He's not going to be featured on any of the network. He's not. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. That's it. But at the same time, what you had said and, and wrestler Chris Jericho said as well, it's a shame that Nancy Benoit will most likely also never be in the Hall of Fame. And she certainly deserves it.
0: She deserves, she really deserves
1: it. If you go back and if you're a wrestling fan or you're not a wrestling fan and look at all the footage of her, way ahead of her time, definitely deserves to be mentioned on some of the greatest valet managers of all time in the wrestling business.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, like, we'll never know what happened that night. We're never going to know. But hopefully, hopefully the best thing that can come out of this is more change occurring in high impact sports regarding health and wellness and care after the fact, once they're done, don't just throw them in the trash.
1: You
0: can't just do that.
1: And just another example of people erasing Benoit from their memory. So um, Chris Benoit's theme song was played by the band, the Canadian band, Our Lady Peace. It was called Whatever. And uh, he came out for many years to that song. Um, Right after that happened, uh, one of their concerts, they said, this will be the final time we play this song live. We are retiring it. And I think you know why. So again, even, even his song is not played by the
0: band. No, anymore. everything's being scrubbed from, from history. And, you know, it's something that I think Chris Jericho said it, but so, someone certainly said it about, you know, his life was wrestling and he loved wrestling. And the fact that his actions are kind of erasing, you know, his legacy and and all the work he put in, that would, that would have really bothered him that, Absolutely. Would, that would have really upset him and the fact that he threw it all away yep um it's it's awful like it's awful and you know that to me like i don't feel i don't feel any empathy about it i'm no, like oh, I, I don't care either. that you threw it away you monster like i don't care
1: i don't either listen i can watch a chris benoit match now, i don't like okay you
0: know? i, I don't, watch it with a mean face on
1: but it's all yeah <laughs> but it's but uh, but again it's also at the same time it doesn't matter what you think about him in the ring because that's.
0: Did the... you almost do a rock?
1: It, it doesn't... doesn't.
0: It doesn't matter what
1: you do in the ring.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so close. Um,
1: um, but yeah, that's the thing is, you know, you could certainly. It's not like you can't watch the matches. I mean, if you really want to and go revisit it, yeah, you can. Yeah. But the bottom line is, is that. Chris Benoit is a murderer.
0: He is a murderer. And that's
1: what his legacy is going to be, unfortunately. That's his legacy.
0: And, you know, it's really really tragic. It's so tragic. All of it, obviously. But Nancy and Daniel's lives have been eclipsed by the man that murdered them. Yeah. That's, you know, all of the things, like, they talk about. And definitely watch Dark Side of the Ring. It's such a great series um, in general, just the way they put it together. But, you know, hearing from the people who are there and the people who knew Nancy and Daniel – and how lovely they were um and the fact that that just gets eaten up by this like shit storm of this person right. who like had a bad day and decided to murder them like that's absurd um and i i want to direct you I will also, you know it's just it's it's a shame that that's so often the case for other survivors any kind of like a victim yeah. of something survivor or or not unfortunately um but with that being said, go look at Nancy on YouTube. Remember Nancy. Go check that out because she deserves it. She's underrated. People say that even had she been alive today, she right. might still be underrated um, You know, because of all the work she did. And she really was a pioneer in her role. Absolutely. And she deserves the recognition. And she does not deserve to be remembered.
1: You can also, also find clips. Clip. E- she was also in ECW. Uh, you can find her there, too. Uh, clips for her
0: ECW Mm -hmm. and I do want to say um you know the thing the thing with CTE we we just in the last few years I think this was just last year we lost Daphne
1: yeah Daphne Unger yeah
0: Daphne Unger um who was in WCW and TNA yeah she was in TNA um she was really kind of one of the first of her kind kind of like goth and like little crazy on purpose it was almost like a little like harley quinn-esque if you look at it
1: no yeah she, she definitely was she,
0: she actually said that she based some of some of her character like off of that um that which
1: scream she used to do was she the was same amazing she's <laughs> a
0: scream queen but she actually took her own life this year um i think it was this year or last year um
1: i don't know if you ever saw that footage it's really really sad
0: i i did see that yeah. footage um And she was saying she was suffering from a lot of depression. She was like, I I feel like I'm alone and I feel like I have CTE and I feel like I have severe CTE and I want you to study my brain. And she took her own life being very careful not to damage her brain because she wanted help for other people. So even in her death, she was committing kind of like a selfless act and she didn't hurt anyone else, but she did and her life it's very sad and is very tragic and hopefully you know because of these things there's more awareness brought to these types of injuries and what goes on in the industry around it um
1: and that's the thing too is that you know they they do play it safer now there's no chair shots to the head anymore no uh they do protect the wrestlers a lot more um you know again they offer rehab to anybody that worked in the company ever Scott they,
0: Hall, did you hear about that?
1: Four times, right? Stephanie
0: said that they have spent the most most money ever on Scott Hall's rehab. Yeah, like in the six figures, she said.
1: Yeah, rest in peace, Scott. But rest in peace, yeah, Scott but at the same Hall. time, you know, anybody that worked for the company for at least a day, they offer them rehab if they want it. Right. Um, but you got to remember too that Chris Benoit and that generation of wrestlers, they didn't play by those rules. Right. So. Again, we're getting into that area where you you may see some other guys come out and say they have dementia, brain injuries from all the chair shots they took to the head or all the flying headbutts they did. Yeah, It's not going to end pretty for a lot of those guys. And, again, yeah. that's the risk they take for the profession yeah. that they went through. And and that's the thing is that uh, it's their decision. It and,
0: is their uh, decision. But Chavo even said um, in the documentary – and it's something, I feel like it's something that's kind of scary because they didn't necessarily know that that was a thing. All the older school guys, like you're saying, and now it's a thing and it's like, well, we all have it. How bad do I have it? Right. Like, that's what something that he was saying. And it's, and he's like, am I going to, am I going to go out like this or something similar to this? And that's a, that's a very real concern. And a lot of these guys they are starting to see a lot of like cognitive impairments and things like that and have withdrawn from like. Like, social events. They don't appear anymore because these things happen. And that's so sad. Because people want to... They still want to interact with, like, their old classic favorite guys. Around five or six
1: years ago, there was a lawsuit that was uh, put against the WWE. uh, And it named a bunch of of ex-wrestlers. I remember that. And uh, it was eventually thrown out in court when it got to there. Uh, It was dismissed, the case. But it had... A who's who of wrestlers, including Chavo Guerrero, was part of that. So they tried to take this WWE task and blaming them for their injuries. But
0: And they turned it around and they were like, um, you guys decided to do this. Like You know what yeah. you're doing.
1: And also you work for all these other companies. And it's people that had worked for WWE for like 10 years and worked other places afterwards. So that really was a detriment against the lawsuit too, well, right. which caused it to be thrown out. Right, um, because
0: it's all about, you know, burden of proof. How can you prove that this happened specifically in WWE and your time there when you're doing this? You came up in the 80s when you're working for other promotions. Like, how do you prove that? And you, you can't really.
1: And I, I really do believe that that was a product of what happened with Chris Benoit. I think that lawsuit would never have even materialized if all those things didn't happen. And, yeah. and finding out about the traumatic brain injury that he had.
0: I definitely agree with that. I agree with that. So. It's, it's very, it's very tragic. It's awful. And like I said, I hope you remember, you know, in this case and in many other cases, the victims deserve their names. We deserve to name them. We deserve to name Nancy and Daniel. It's not all about Chris Benoit. It's not about any other awful fucking murderer piece of shit. But <laughs> I guess that's kind of my final thought. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to share? Final
1: thoughts I already said is that Chris <laughs> Benoit's legacy will be as a murderer and not a wrestler. And it's, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, it's true. but it's the way it has to be. It's
0: true. All right. Well, whew, that was rough. That was a that was sad. We we did all the emotions. We laughed. We cried on the <laughs> inside a little bit. Um, Yeah. So thanks for listening to True Crime Time. So Kevin, what's going on? Uh, you gonna do some big bucket of chicken? We got. Can we expect some new episodes from you?
1: I hope so. Yeah. I just. I just miss my partner, Lou. He just, oh. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't live around here anymore, and we love being in the studio. So hopefully he can get back here and we can do it in the studio.
0: Lou, did you hear that, Lou? Yeah. This public plea. The
1: pandemic shut it all down. It really did.
0: <laughs> a public plea to Lou. Come back. You guys know Lou. He's been on here a few times. He'll be back again. I hope you're listening. I hope you take that message to heart, Lou. Um, but otherwise... Thanks for listening. True Crime Time. See you next time for some, some more true crime. Peace out.